Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 231 with Ed Lattimore. I think this episode really packs a punch. Oh, oh, terrible pun there. It packs a punch because Ed is a professional boxer and physics student, and he has done some real thinking and cross-pollinating ideas in terms of what brings about motivation and discipline and resilience and toughness and all this good stuff that can be applied to being awesome at your job. So you'll learn, one, why human behavior is subject to the laws of momentum. Two, how to find motivation when it seems elusive. And three, why it's better to focus on the process rather than the outcome. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, you can find that on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F231. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our cool resources One I'd point you to here is the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course. And this is a series of excerpts taken from my Enhanced Thinking and Collaboration Training Programs, which slash just about 86 minutes per person per week of waste out of there when it comes to being smarter about saying no to meetings and and all kinds of little actionable tidbits. I've taken those and made them as digestible as possible in a 10 simple emails. You get one a day. So that's there over at awesomeatyourjob.com. And now here's Ed's story. Ed Lattimore is a professional boxer, adult physics student at Duquesne University, a veteran of the United States Army National Guard, chess player, and author. Millions have learned from Ed's insights at his blog, The Mind and the Fist, at mindandfist.com. He's also rather active on Twitter, at Ed Lattimore. Here's Ed. Ed, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm always grateful whenever someone reaches out and decides to listen to me talk for 45 minutes or an hour or so. You know, I never listen to myself on these podcasts (laughs) because I've been listening to my voice for 32 years now, and I certainly don't want to voluntarily hear it play back at me. But my people seem to get value out listening to things that I come up with on the fly. So I hope you pull out some great stuff from me, man. I'm excited. Oh, I, I hope so too. And I'm excited too. And I, I think you've got a lot of real gems to share. And so I got a kick out of as we were doing the research here, learning a bit about you. And a fun fact I discovered there was that you used to be afraid of being outside during lightning and storms. Can you give us the backstory and how'd you overcome this fear? You know, I don't really know when the fear started, but I'll tell you what, the things that people are afraid of a lot of times they say, what, what you don't understand, you fear, something like that. I used to be obsessed. I mean, I'm still obsessed. The only thing I'll go to grad school for is meteorology. And I really used to be obsessed with the weather all the way back as a kid. And I guess at some point, that obsession got me terrified of like being outside during severe weather, specifically lightning. And I can tell you stories on stories of when I was a kid running and burning myself out, running, tripping and falling, because when you're in a rush, you hurt yourself. Or even like I had a girlfriend once and we were outside and lightning came and I, I ran off and left her someplace. It, it was a serious thing for a while. And then what ultimately got me over it was enlisting in the military. And I don't know if you ever served or not or you went through basic or anything. Well, when you go through basic, I, you do what they say. You don't jump out of line. You, you don't uh, break ranks, as they say. 
And there were a few times, because I did my basic training at Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri, and the weather in the Midwest, I mean, that's Tornado Alley. And we're marching, and there'd be storms overhead, and I'd be like, well, I I can't break rank because I'm not going to go crazy and get in trouble. So I would march through there, and I I I was getting better and better. And then we have these things during basic training called FTX, the field training exercises, three of them for the last two, which are the longest ones. One for uh, overnight, I think it's like a two-day march overnight, and another is a week out in the field. Both of those were like some of the worst storms Missouri had seen. In fact, the second one broke the record for 24-hour rainfall because of how intense it was, and I was out there the whole time, and at that point, I was like, well, I'm still here. I'm not dead. Like I know the odds of being struck by lightning, but that's why they're called irrational fears because they go against what you rationally know. And since then, it hasn't really bugged me. So (laughs) that's how I got over it. But for a long time, I mean, I was like the joke. People knew me for like eating popcorn all the time and being afraid of lightning. Like those are my... (laughs) (laughs) Some claims to fame. Oh, that's good. Well, so now you're getting some more fame and interviews and, and such because you got a book out here called Not Caring What Other People Think Is a Superpower and I love the title so much. It just like resonates with me. Like, yes, I concur wholeheartedly. So tell us kind of what's the main idea behind the book and why is it important? Uh, well, the main idea behind the book. So a lot of people found me, you know, I won't even walk you through the process. Maybe we'll get there. But the main idea of, you know, where this process came from and what it built, it built the collection of essays in the areas of my life where when I went from being, because I spent a lot of my 20s just kind of in a, a mess and a stupper, and I'm certainly not there now, and it was a conscious decision. And part of that decision was deciding that I no longer cared about the appearance that I was going to have. Because I think a lot of times people, people want to change, and it's not always laziness. A lot of times you kind of become a slave to the image you create within the social circle that you run with. And I decided that no more, I was not going to be the guy that was known for drinking heavy and being crazy and blacking out. I was not going to be known as the guy who was always working on something, but never finished it. I wanted to be the guy. I wanted to be a disciplined person. I wanted to be a guy with a stable, loving relationship as opposed to running around and chasing different kinds of women as my free time. So what I did, I made a lot of key heart changes too because we're not talking like okay some gradual change like no i woke up one day after like a, a hard day at night of drinking i was like no more i stopped the boozing i was like this girl is definitely my girl i want to be with her I, I really devoted myself to my academic studies and my boxing i had been boxing at that point and those are really the main points of the book is that when you decide you want to be different you're going to have to stop caring about the person you are now, you're going to have to let them go. You're going to have to let them have that ego death, which is analogous to an actual death. And then you get reborn, which is analogous to a process that doesn't happen. But you do get reborn and you live a different life. And then sometimes I do. And I look back at how I lived and how I was. And I think like, man, am I dead right now? Did I die doing something really stupid? Because my life is so different than the projection it was on 
that I'm so grateful, but sometimes I feel like I must be in heaven. Not because things are like super great or anything. They certainly are, but because they're so different than the trajectory I was on. And that is because I decided to make changes. And that's what the book is about. The areas in my life where I focused on making changes that I felt were most important, changing the standards, changing how I work, changing the relationships, changing my relationship with alcohol and time, everything about that. Those are like some of the main ideas in a book I discuss. And I love what you said there in terms of, it's sort of like a two-parter there. One is you said, it doesn't matter what other people think about me and who I am and the character I'm supposed to be based on, you know, if you associate, hey, I'm a boxer, therefore I must not play chess or be into (laughs) physics. Like those are just false assumptions. And you say, you're going to do your thing that you're going to do. So that's really cool. And and I dug, you know, this kind of harkens back to, we had Tom Bilyeu back in episode 209 talking about your identity is hugely powerful, like who you say you are as the kind of person you are. And thusly, things just flow from that. So did you have like a particular statement in terms of who I am is this, or is it more just sort of who I am is the kind of person that does this, and does not do that. You know, I never formalized it in any sort of way, and I don't think most people do. What I think is that human behavior is subject to the laws of momentum. I always think in terms of physics, human behavior is like momentum. I mean, the more you do a thing, the easier it is to do the thing next time, and pretty soon you have a habit and it's just an autopilot. I think about, for example, I used to make it a point to be done with practice by like seven o'clock so I could go sit on the bar stoop. As comical as that sounds, like when you think about these guys that would sit on the bar stoop, these old men and just drink. I I wasn't quite like that, but my whole day was centered around, we got to make sure that happens, right? And it's so weird even discussing it now because that seems like such a conscious choice. Like, all right, man, you're going to go to practice and you're going to go drink. But it became who I was. It became who I was to the point where I made sure I knew where I was at, where I was living. I had like three or four friends and on different nights of the week, like I knew who could come out, who wouldn't. I always had a person to be with. I always had a person to go to because I felt like now I'm reinforcing the image that I just kind of played with. Like I'm the guy to go see if you want to go out to the bar, right? He'll always be down. And maybe some nights I didn't want to go. But it didn't matter because now that's my identity and now that's what I've built. And now everything I do on a small or on a micro level there, it's going to reinforce that. Yeah, that's powerful. And in a way, it's funny because on the one hand, someone might say, well, that's sort of a stupid identity. Like, why would you want that to be your identity? But on the other hand, it's doing something for you. It's like, that is encouraging to people. It's like, Hey, that's a friend that I can count on. That's someone who's fun. That's someone who's interesting. That's someone who's free, you know? People always forget that. And that is like a big meta lesson when you are looking to try to understand a person. Every habit or every stupid choice a person makes that we see is destructive, at some point, the person looked at it and went, this is a good idea. And they didn't do it from a point of like, oh, man, let's go be crazy and have a good story. Like, they did it because at some point, it got them a benefit. And then when the benefit was no longer there, they are at the point of diminishing returns or whatever, they still had to deal with the negative externalities of those choices. And they forget that. And I forget that. I mean, everyone it's cool to be that guy when you're like 19, not so much when you're 26, but when you aren't thinking and you just operate on habit. 
then you'd be surprised where you can end up. Certainly. Well, so that I'd love to hear then, since you've sort of experienced both sides of things, what are some of the standards that you've set for yourself that have just really paid tremendous dividends in terms of, if you say, hey, I'm the kind of person who does this, and those activities and habits have just been tremendously beneficial and fruitful for you. So the big, huge ones that like anyone can see, if it isn't obvious in the conversation or when you read my book, I'll make sure I state it explicitly now, is that coming up on four years of sobriety. Congratulations. Thank you. That made a huge difference because that forced me to change. There's like that keystone, that linchpin, right? You If you change that, the rest of your habits are going to fall in line with it. And that was the one thing for me. I changed that and everything else fell in line, right? It wasn't going to the gym. I'm a pro boxer. I don't need that. It wasn't my studies. It wasn't dealing with my friendships better. No, or my relationships. It was taking care of that. And that's the big macro idea, like the main one, the linchpin. I changed that. On a personal level, what has made the biggest difference, because I'm always now in this kind of, uh, I always feel things, right? And they don't talk about this a lot when they talk about sobriety and what to do and what you're going to experience. But a lot of times when you are constantly drinking, you never learn to deal with your emotions because everything's like, let's celebrate with a drink. I'm depressed. Let's drink, right? <laughs> let's meet up with friends. Let's drink. Oh man, my friend just said some mean shit. Let's drink, right? So there's always a response. And when I got rid of that, I was not only forced to deal with my emotions, in the present, because I've always been terrible at that, but I've gotten so much better, thank goodness. Not only because of being forced to deal with them and forced to live in the present, but because of the relationship I developed and, and that I, I still have with my girlfriend now, I've learned to communicate and express my emotions. I'm not like whining or anything like that, but I'm very much aware of when I say or do a thing, how that thing will be perceived. Now, whether I kind of calculate what the cause benefit of eliciting a certain reaction is, but now I'm aware of it. It's amazing how not aware you are of things when you constantly have what I call the fog of inebriation on. When you get rid of that, you're like, whoa, we're all good. So emotional communication on a personal level, and that's helped me really deal with people better and my relationships. And on a bigger level, getting rid of alcohol. There's no other way, shape, or form around that one. Okay. Well, that's great. And congratulations on progress there. And that's great stuff. And so I want to hear a little bit now, I guess, in those moments where the rubber meets the road, it's like you've set forward a resolution, a goal, and then the moment comes where you got to do something, whether it's send an email to start networking for a job or go to the gym or make a healthy meal or or whatever it is. You say, this time I'm going to be doing this resolution. And then people often fall short. So you've got some champion habits and discipline and motivation. Can you walk us through how do we tap into big motivation and kind of power through when we just don't feel like it? Okay. So like the thing about motivation, what's really important is that you need to one, get in touch with the reason you're doing a thing or rather the thing that makes you excited. For me, it was always to be better than myself or my old self. I always like learning and mastering a new skill. I mean, that's why I got into boxing and that's why I'm studying physics of all things I could study, right? Because I want to see, am I good enough to do it? And that's for me personally. Some people are excited about money. Some people are excited about attention. Some people are excited about making someone jealous. You know, get away from the good and bad. Just 
think about what makes you act. And, and we can use that as kind of the emotional coal in the furnace of action, right? And that's really important. In terms of making things happen after that, the consistency, you kind of have to separate yourself from yourself. You got to look and go, okay, if we're going to like run every day for three miles because we're training for a 5K, and that's miserable. It is not going to be enjoyable, especially if you don't do that every day. And that initial pain will kind of make you want to shy away. Well, first thing, you got to remember, you really want to look good. Let's say that's your thing. You want to look good with your shirt off. So that's like what's going to get you out there. What's going to keep you coming back after the pain, after all the hurt, is you've separated yourself and you said, okay, that guy, that person I was, who maybe did not look good with his shirt off. I'm not going to be him, and I'm just going to keep chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And that comes with a Tom perspective. There's other things to go into it. You got to remember, some things take a long time. A lot of people get so fixated on this idea of instant gratification or things coming quickly that it just derails them and eats them away when they see, like, I've been running for a week and I still can't see my abs. Like, no, you just keep at it. And what'll keep at it along with that motivation, measuring little tiny improvements. If you can get a little quick success, I wish I could remember where I read this because I've tried to Google it. So it makes me think maybe I made it up, but it sounds reasonable. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why children stick with piano or apparently more children stick with piano than the violin. Why? Because it's a lot easier to make the piano sound good. You grab a quick success and you're like, if I've done that, I can get some more successes. And I've tried to learn to play the violin. Man, that is not cool on your neck, right? It takes a long time to make the violin sound good, much longer than it takes to make the piano sound good. So if I'm a kid and I'm going to get excited, I'm going to be drawn to the piano, not because it's easier. Don't focus on that. Yeah, I'm going to stay with the piano because I got a quick win. I immediately saw the results of my effort. So no matter what goal you're trying to get towards, with everything you're trying to improve, wherever you want to make the rubber meet the road, you got to break it up into these little measurable points, little goal points. I mean, okay, I see it's working and I see it's getting me a little closer. Now I'm not so discouraged. Because you know when people decide college is the worst? <laughs> not at the beginning, not at the end. It is that middle where you're too far along to see the you're too far along to quit, but you're not far enough along to see the end yet. So you gotta have something to measure your goals and something to drive you along to keep measuring them. And I really like the way you really kind of kicked it up a notch there when we talk about identity and standards. And you say, I'm not gonna be that guy who's fat or whatever. Instead, I'm going to be this. And so you've sort of taken identity and put like the anti-identity on it. Like, I'm not <laughs> going to be that. Instead, I'm going to be this. And you want to get a measurable improvement so that you kind of build that motivation and keep it going and flowing. And you're right. I think it's, it's tricky there to merely think clearly about how are we going to measure the progress? Because it's like, I still can't see my six pack. I still can't see my six pack. I still can't see my six pack. Isn't really encouraging. But if you could say, you know what? Last time when I ran one kilometer on this 5K training, to use the metric system, sure. I was dead <laughs> and gassed and fell to the floor. I don't know. Whereas this time, I was okay. And I felt like I could go another 
half kilometer when it was all right. And so that's that's something you can count it and celebrate it. Not only that, like maybe one day you go, oh, man, I got to use another hole in my belt. There you go. Ah, That's cool. Right. I've improved. So little areas you can see the improvement because everyone starts out fired up. I think people kind of lot of themselves about what fires them up because it sounds better. It sounds politically correct. No one wants to say, I want to look better so I can make someone jealous. Look, man, if that's why you want to look good, that is all fine by me because the benefit you're going to receive is going to outweigh any type of negative it will. And eventually, or I hope anyhow, you'll get past that. But once you have the motivation fired up to keep that going, yeah, you got to measure the goals. And those little goals, it's like throwing another coal in the fire. Throwing another coal. So it burns long enough to keep you moving along. And I like what you said in terms of you got to tap into the thing that makes you excited. And I think part of, as I reflect on my own failures, the challenge there is sometimes you tap into something that gets you kind of excited. And it's like, oh, that'd be sort of nice. Yeah. The metaphor I liked, we talked about the coal on the fire. It's not really like inflamed, you know, it's not like full strength. (laughs) So maybe you could give us some guidance here. How do you know if you've zeroed in on it? Like we talk about making somebody jealous. I mean, in a way that's, it has its own risks because you might do all the stuff and then they don't care. And then you're like, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, you got a great body. I I still don't care. Pay attention to me. Yeah. You know, it didn't happen. You know, if if I was to say, well, how do I know I've zero in on it? I knew that it was physics for me because my story about why, how I ended up studying physics, I was originally going to study math and then I enlisted into the military so I could get money for school. That's my reason. Uh, and as part of that training for my AIT, my advanced individual training, my military occupational specialty, I'm avoiding using the acronyms and now I see why the army has so many of them. I decided that I was going to become a 94 Alpha, and what that required was going to something called BMAT, the Basic Mechanical and Electronic Theory. It's a six-week course, classes, I think, eight to five every day in Fort Lee, Virginia. And there you learn the basics of electronics and repair and all that. And I said, wait a second, I think I want to be an electrical engineer. So I went back, I came back and I went and I studied and I took the classes, going to engineering, and part of that is physics. And then I went and did the experiment with kinematic equations where you have to figure out where something's going to land based on just the influences of the initial velocity, the angle, and gravity. And it landed where it was supposed to land. And that fired me up. I was like, wow, that's like magic. As silly as that sounds, because I had this idea in my mind. Well, now you're predicting the future. That's exciting. I know what will happen. Right. And that's so exciting to me. And I think that's why I like the weather as well. That's what fired me up. I was like, wow, that's like a sense of wonder. I really want to know how this works for everything else. And for me, that's what drove me. It was the sense of, huh, this is just cool. And that sense of learning how things work carries me through my physics classes. Because if I was just in there for money, for example, I'd be like, oh, I guess I'm a trader or something, man. Uh, there's more money there somehow. Or if I was just in there to look cool, I'd be like, man, nobody cares about physics. This is me. No, but I'm there because I like learning about the universe. Okay. So that, my story, and we take that to general boom, right? You got to have something that touches you deep enough to where you would do it if no one else cared. If there is no one else around, no one looking. I tell guys when they come to the boxing gym, I say, you make sure you have a reason you're doing this sport that no one can take from you. 
because you're not going to make a lot of money if you make any money at all. You're going to be hurting and you're not going to feel like coming, but you kind of got to because the other guys are hopefully doing the same. You got to compete. Your friends probably won't care. Most people won't care. And you're going to be looked at a certain way by society, for better or worse, that can, once again, mostly negatively, at least was my experience, influence how you see yourself. So what are you doing it for? Well, I, I did boxing because I like the mastery. I like learning the thing. And no one can take that away from me. Just like no one can take away that sense of wonder I have when I understand, for example, the significance of the center of mass and a binary star, or I understand why the potential of a conservative field should be zero. You can't take that away from me. So you got to find something that no one can take away from you. Or more importantly, no one, or to put it differently, no one can deny you. Like we were talking about that jealousy thing. But what if they don't care? What are you going to do? Stop, right? So while it's a great initial put put a big hunk of coal in the fire, the coals that keep it sustained, that touch deep, that burn best maybe, those are the ones that no one can take out the fire. No one can take away from it. I like that. I like that. And can you give us a final thought maybe on confidence in terms of you've entered some situations that are kind of scary, right? I'm sure you've overcome some fears along the way. What are your, your pro tips for making that happen? You know, if you got some time, you take the Mithridatic method where you expose yourself to a little bit of danger over time and, and you build up your tolerance. If you don't have that and you're suddenly sprung into an area where you need to perform or you need to protect, where you need to defend, the best thing I would tell you is to remember that the worst thing that's going to happen in this situation is you're going to die, right? And that sounds crazy because that's what people are afraid of. But when you see a situation like that, it puts most things in serious perspective. Like public speaking, for example, if the worst thing that can happen is you're going to die, and you consider the chances that you'll die speaking, and you can really do this. You can go, wow, okay, so... I'm not going to die up here talking to these people. You can relax. And you might even laugh a little and lighten up and laugh at how silly you were. Or you want to go talk to like some girl. You know, people get freaked out about that. And you remember the worst thing that can happen is you can pull out a gun and shoot you. <laughs> what are the odds of that happening though? Right? You're going to walk away from the encounter with your life and with some lessons too. So that's my tip for confidence. And really how I got it from my fear of lightning too is when I realized while well, I'm still here, and the odds of me disappearing, i.e. the odds of me being struck by lightning, are so low that I just need to not think about it. And I'm not saying that's easy. You kind of got to experience some rough tumbles for you to go, wow, I'm still here. It's not going to kill me. But that would be my biggest secret to confidence is remember, the worst thing that can happen is you're going to die. Well, so I like that system. So that's true. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to die. And then it is extremely improbable that's going to happen so you can laugh it off. So that's a nice little mental pattern. I guess I'm thinking, if let's imagine that speaking example. You think, okay, well, the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to die. That's not going to happen. But what's more likely is that they'll think I'm really stupid and that I am not management or executive material and I'll stagnate in my job or get fired and not reach my dream. So I think that we can quickly recognize, okay, I'm not going to die. But something else really bad that I don't want to happen can happen. So in the mental gymnastics of that sort of, how's Ed fight back? Ed remembers and Ed always focuses on the process. You tricked me into referring to myself in a third person, okay. man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, 
a lot of times what we fear, we're going to be more concrete about, you know, like that public speaking example, and they might think you're not material for management all of a sudden. Well, how badly do you want to be that material? If you do want to be an executive, right, and they're going to decide you're not worth it, well, here's what you do get out of this. If you're focused on the process, not the outcome, you get a lesson. You get to learn how can I be better because this terrible thing happened and I didn't get the result I wanted, but I'm learning. What can I learn from this to come back? You know, a lot of our fears and the reason we're not confident about situations because we get so focused on the outcome and we neglect the most important part, the process. Because remember, this is going to blow your mind, man, because it blew mine when I thought about it real talk. You can't control the outcome. No matter how well you prepare, crazy things happen, and all your preparation could be thrown out the window, and you'd be like, what happened? How'd it go this way? Or someone could just decide to pull power or something and override whatever the work you did. And you'd be like, man, that's messed up. That's crazy. That's corrupt. Yeah, but that's life. What you can do, what you always have control over is the process and how you prepare, how you learn, how you see a situation. So if you always remember, you're going to get some kind of lesson, whether the outcome is what you wanted. If you get some kind of lesson from the process, that should quell a lot of your fears because you're going to be focused not on achieving, which is always good to focus on, or rather achieving is always a good thing, but the process of learning so you can always improve and get better, even if only by an infinitesimally small amount, it's still better than you were before. And so many people don't focus on it. They get so caught up in, did I get it? Uh, did I make it? Did I get a score? Okay. Yeah, I mean, those are all fine and dandy, and that's how we measure the world. But I know that ultimately I don't have control over that. I only have control over what I process and what I can do. And I think if you remember that, then you can kind of be confident there. That's good. That's good. Well, tell me, Ed, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and talk about some of your favorite things? Uh, You know, (laughs) I just want to reiterate the process and the internal portion of any goal or any activity is so important. That's why I stress and some of the kids I may tutor or teach and boxing stuff too, that I always stress, find a reason that people can't take away and focus on the process. These are all internal things, and you have to find something that motivates and moves you internally. Otherwise, you're at the mercy of the world. All right. Perfect. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I don't know any quotes in particular, but I'll tell you what, I love listening or i love the book the art of learning which is like i'm not affiliated at all it's like years old i don't even know if you've have you ever read it is that the weight skin yeah 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 yes i love that book because he breaks down how he learns and what he learns from it in a really interesting way he shows how his mental and physical activities influence his emotions and vice versa and the most motivating idea I tell people all the time, I love that book. I love that book. You should read that book. Because if you can get any kind of control on how you think and how you react to a situation, you've got something to work on. You have something to interrupt the habit, anything. And I think that will make a person more aware of how they go about doing things. And it's only when you become aware of something that you can start to work on it and influence it. So yeah, I don't have a quote, but I would say everyone should read The Art of Learning. 
That's good. Thank you. And my book, but definitely mm-hmm. you're at a learning. <laughs> That's good. And, and how about a favorite tool, something you use often that helps you flourish? Oh, man. Let me say, I got two immediately came to mind. A book? You can take two. That's fair. Okay. So no card. You can't see, but there's like two or three stacks unopened, plus the ones I'm using now while I study. That's my favorite tool, period. And I know that's a little old school. I know there's like Trello and different apps like that where you can write it digitally. But there is something to be said about the physical connection of writing notes and going back to them later and flicking through them and just seeing that. So yeah, no cards to learn, no cards that jot out ideas for posts that I'll put on my site. I love no cards. All right. The other thing, the other tool is explaining things to people who are not necessarily from that discipline and making sure they understand it. Because if I can make someone who, like my girlfriend was like, a, does works in international studies. If I can get her to understand the Brawley wave and why physical things have a wave-like characteristic, then that means I understand it because she has no clue. But if she goes, yeah, I, I guess I get that. That means I did a good enough job uh, breaking things down. And I think that's called the Fondman technique of explanation, maybe. So those are my two favorite tools, note cards and the Fondman technique. If it wasn't for that, with boxing, writing, physics, who knows where I would be. It's helped me learn so much. And I think it's a very powerful tool for anyone who's looking to add new skills or develop or create something new in their life. Oh, cool. Thank you. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that makes all the difference? I am really a big fan of waking up early and not so early that like I'm not one of those guys that's up at like, like, I don't know if you follow Jocko Willick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's always up and he flashes his watch and I'm like, man, thank goodness you were protecting our country, man, because I love getting up early, but I could never do it. But I do like to beat the sun up. That's like my goal, no matter what time of year it is, because I really think there's something magical about those hours. And I know that's like the most unscientific thing, but I really think that if you can learn to be productive when most people aren't, you're automatically going to just look at the world differently. If you know that you're up at five o'clock working on maybe you want to write a book or or you want to learn a new language or you are just running because you want to improve your health and you're out and you know that most people are asleep, that's going to change over time how you see yourself relative to the world. You're going to go, I'm a person, I'm different. I'm willing to put the work in. I know that I can get past not only everyone else, but where I'm at now because I'm willing to do something that I can look around and see most people aren't willing to do. And it'll give you confidence. It's another source of confidence. And tell me, is there a particular nugget or piece that you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They retweet you, they quote you, they start taking notes when you say it? My most popular tweet is something I just said, just combining my life experience and making a joke. But it was, I guess it was a good point. And I always tell people, because the crackheads will work four days straight to get enough money to get high. and. If a crackhead is willing to put that kind of effort in, how are you working on your goals? What are you working towards? Do you want to get outworked by a crackhead? And <laughs> I was just joking, but that turned in. I mean, everything blown up. And, and I guess it is true. And it, it takes and puts an idea just in a different way than people were expecting. And I, and I don't get out work by a crackhead. Well, I can see why it's so retweeted because it's just, it's so <laughs> original. I cannot conceive of a quote I've heard 
<laughs> that's similar. I guess there's that ancient, what is it, a riddle or a allegory or a illustrative tale? Fable. That's what we're looking for. The word's fable. About the guy puts the person's head in the sea and then says, what did you want? I wanted to breathe. Oh, well, then... You need to want your goals. Well, I mean, you stated it much more succinctly and delightfully. So I'm going to go with the crackhead instead of the yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> the breathing underwater fable. <laughs> Don't get out work by a crack. And, you know, it's funny, right? I'll, I'll tell you about where I came from. You know, I grew up in the projects. And I remember one day we were out. It was like nine in the morning. I was like nine, maybe ten. And we were on our way to the bus stop, me, my sister, and my mom. And there were these two junkies. I remember they came scuttering by. And my mom said, yeah, I, I haven't seen these ones. They, they've been up for like three, four days straight chasing that rock. And that always stuck with me for years. <laughs> and so one day I just combined that to some hard work. And it really, yeah, people get the idea. Don't get out work by crackheads. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Well, Ed, if, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Definitely my website, www.edlatimore.com. And my Twitter handle, Ed Lattimore, those are where I'm most active. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, there's probably something you're putting off right now. I'm speaking loud, like I'm talking to a group of people. I just realized. But yeah, there's probably something that you're putting off right now that you know will make a difference. And usually the more you put it off, the bigger difference it'll make. So whatever you're putting off, look at it and go, okay, I'm going to go and get this done. Whatever it is, it might be something personal, it might be something business, but whatever it is, do it and see how your life improves. Maybe it improves by a bigger margin than you thought, maybe by less. But the point is now it is done and you're able to look at it and go, I did that. And that builds confidence. Just we keep coming back to that confidence I did. <laughs> that builds confidence that you can get things done and that you're not a slave to procrastination. Awesome. Well, Ed, this has been a whole lot of fun and insightful and enjoyable. So, you know, thank you for taking this time and I wish you tons of luck in boxing and physics and chess and all the stuff you do. All right. Hey, thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I'm very grateful, like I said, for anyone who takes the time to listen to me ramble about some of my ideas. You know, I have thought about and chuckled about Ed's comment, don't get outworked by a crackhead just about a dozen times. And it really just puts things in a fresh perspective in terms of how bad do I want this? And sometimes the answer is, oh, I guess it's really not that bad. And therefore, maybe I can just relax and chill about not doing that versus, hmm, you know what? I really could step this up. I really should prioritize this and make real time for it and push out some of the other stuff. And that's all right. So don't get outworked by a crackhead. It makes me giggle and reframes my perspective in a hurry. I hope you dug that and more. And if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items that we've referenced, that's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F231. And I hope you, if you haven't already, you do push subscribe. You're going to hear from Brenda Bailey Hughes in our next episode. It's her podcast debut, but you wouldn't know it because she has a fantastic set of insights as well as microphone audio quality. And she's talking all about positivity at work, why it's important how to get there more frequently when you're not feeling it so much and more. So I hope to catch you there in peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.